Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, the theme of the night was adaptations, and Chris Rowley shared a story about how a seagull changed his life for the better. I have to start in 1990, when I met an absolutely wonderful woman. And I'm 20 years old, so obviously I am not cooked yet, you know. And when you're 20 years old, you're thinking about one thing. That's pretty much it. And add to this one other factor that you should know. She was 32. So you know the old story about when men kind of reach their prime and women reach theirs and... It was kind of like two tigers in heat without all the scratching. Okay, there was some scratching, but, you know. So, two years. During the course of the next two years, because I was thinking with me and not with the, that I had managed to alienate myself from my family. I had alienated myself from my friends. And over the course of the next two years, I pretty much had nothing left except for this woman codependent much, you know? And so I was hanging on to the one thing I had left. I had screwed up a car, I screwed up a job, I screwed up a college education over this. And then we get to the end of 1991, and this relationship implodes. So we start 1992 with me sleeping, because again, I've pretty much been disowned by my family, I'm sleeping on a mattress on a wooden floor in a disused workroom on the second floor of a heatless apartment down at Rudy Inlet. Below me are the sweet, sweet sounds of the woman who just left me with the guy she left me for. I can't even tell you what a boost to the ego that is. I don't recommend it. Now, a self-respecting human being would have tore ass out of there on the quick. I was not a self-respecting human being at that particular point in time. So it took me a minute or a week or a month. And then there was the night that my brain finally snapped, and I said, i got to get the fuck out of here. And the little brain, the little voice in the back of my head said, is a park bench better than this? because that's what we're talking about right now. And I said, okay, let's check the play-by-play. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> a park bench is way fucking better than this. So I packed up a backpack with everything that I thought was important at the time. Money in my pocket, clothes on my back, and I got the fuck out of there. And for the next two weeks, my mailing address was Atlantic Avenue. Back before we addressed the homeless problem by ignoring it completely... Um, They didn't used to have those little partitions on the park benches so you could stretch out and get spooned by another unfortunate human being. (laughs) So on this particular morning, I wake up, check the fucking homeless guy that gets in. And I am, it's January of 1992, and it's January on the beach. You've been there. It's cold, it's wet, it's gray. And I am cold, and I am wet, and I am pissed. And you're never as cold or as wet or as pissed as you are when you're all three of those things at the same time and you don't think there's shit you can do about it. P. 
pissed is the key here. There's an old Rage Against the Machine song where the guy whispers to you, anger is a gift. You're fucking A right it is because as long as I stayed angry, I wasn't going numb. And I saw going numb as the act of giving up. And I saw that as, okay, you're done. What are you going to do? So I tried to stay as angry as I possibly could because I didn't see that as moving forward, but I saw that as treading water. So I would find things to keep me pissed off, you know, and, and even if that was laughing at the unfortunate events of, you know, people or animals or whatever, and I'm not proud of that, but it kept me alive pretty much. So on this particular morning, I get up, I go over to the rail that separates the boardwalk from the beach, and I'm looking out over the beach, and there's a, a flock of seagulls. If anybody else here hears any a song right now, I, I, I'm sorry, because <laughs> it happens to me every time. And I'm seeing a flock of seagulls uh, get in and pile into a pile of fresh kill that has washed up on the beach. It's early morning. And they're just going to town, pecking away at it. And they're scrappy. Seagulls are scrappy. They have to be. They're survivors. Except for this one little guy who's bobbing and weaving and trying to get in as best he can, and they just won't let him in. And I figure he's the runt of the litter. Lack of a better term. Yeah, kind of like me. And, um, <laughs> and I'm watching this, and I'm going, okay. And I see him back up about 10 or 12 feet away from the, the scrum there. <laughs> And he just lets off this squawk. And it, it's the most blatant fuck you I've ever seen in my life. Because we assign intent and behavior and emotion to animals, but mainly they're the cute ones, like your cat. I'm a cat person. I suspect most of you are. I, I saw a meme about it on Facebook, so I assume it must be true. We assign that behavior to the cute animals. We don't assign it to the seagull that shits on your car unless they're going, you fucking asshole, you know, and... But that was obviously a blatant fuck you, and that would have been enough to keep me treading water, keep me pissed. And then that little seagull flew up to the rail, and he flies up right next to me. And I think we were both a little surprised by that, because, you know, he... Okay... He was so close I could have petted. I didn't because, you know, I like my hands. And we're just looking at each other for a second. He cocks his head a little bit in that RCA, his master's voice kind of way. And, and then he flies off about 50 yards down the beach where he finds a fresh pile of kill all to himself. And he's going to town over there. I'm watching him. And I'm watching the scrum. And they haven't seen him. So they're still fighting each other over here. And this little guy over here, he's getting everything he needs. And that would have been enough except for the fact that he flew back. And he looked at me again. And he squawked at me. And then he flew away. We assign intent and behavior and emotion to animals, and we fill in blanks that aren't there.
the best lesson I ever received was from a fucking rat with wings. (laughs) And he said to me, he said to me, the only person in your way right now is you. What the fuck are you going to do about it? And instead of stopping being pissed and going numb, I stopped being pissed and the brain started working. The thinking part of your brain, the solving part of your brain. And it says, okay, what's the immediate problem? I'm fucking cold. What are you going to do about it? I got to get off the beach. How are you going to do that? I hooked it to a friend's house who didn't expect to see me, hadn't seen me in a year, year and a half didn't expect to see me again. I said, I'm sorry. I'm God. I'm sorry. And I explained ex- everything that had happened. What I really need now is a hot shower and a razor and a newspaper. <laughs> and they were kind enough to let me in. Let me take a hot shower, clean up, do some laundry from what I had in here. And by the end of the day, I had a job. It's not the best job in the world, but I had a job. Okay, now what's next? I need a place to stay, which involved swallowing the rest of my pride, which is not a bad thing, and going home to my folks and saying, I am not asking for your forgiveness, but I am asking for a chance to earn your forgiveness, and they were kind enough to give that to me. That was the day that changed my life. Let's flash forward to today. I have been married now for 22 years, coming up in July. To the only woman who puts up with my shit. (laughs) I have three amazing children. I have a daughter that is as close to the center of my universe as you're likely to find. I am doing work right now that I absolutely love with people that I absolutely adore. And I have reached a personal and professional fulfillment that I did not think was possible. On my 20th anniversary, my wife and I got tattoos together. Your first tattoo is supposed to be something significant, something that means something to you. Most people would think that would be Pink Floyd because they're the best fucking band in the world. For me, there was never any question. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you can find out about our next show, Learn how to submit your own story, and of course, listen to more Storyteller podcasts. I'm Deb Markham, producer of the show. Our live host is Brendan Kennedy. Amber Nettles, Scott Rose, and Evan Hartley provide production assistance, and Jenny Zell is our podcast consultant. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.